0: We don't need more information. We've got plenty of information. What we need is, is wisdom in order to make good, sound decisions. Because everyone, every day is faced with hundreds, if not thousands of decisions. And and I think our personality type helps and hinders us in that decision-making process. And until we raise our own sense of self-awareness, we may not realize how that's happening. We can't solve all of these problems right away. We can't cure a pandemic We can't solve uh, race relations in our country right away. You know, we can't um, heal the political divides that are, you know, just at every turn right away. But we can all each take our next right step into that unknown space. And if we do so faithfully with wisdom, with discernment, I think we'll be better off.
1: Hi there, friends. This is episode 89 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff, and I'm a pastor and an author and your host. I'm so glad you've decided to listen today. I have an incredible interview with Drew Mosher, and we have this wide-ranging conversation about the Enneagram, uh, which I've never actually talked about on this show before in now 89 episodes, which is kind of remarkable for me that I've never gotten around to talking about it um and uh so if you know about the Enneagram you might really enjoy this conversation and even if you don't Drew covers some of the basics but also goes uh really deep there's lots of information out there on the on the internet about the Enneagram so you can go and and google it and find out about it if you if you've never heard of it before um but this conversation we especially dive into areas of how uh Our distinctive personalities affect decision-making, discernment, and how we can grow in wisdom. Uh, Drew speaks about his work as helping people navigate the big questions in life, such as who am I, why am I here, and where am I going? And uh, his latest book, which has been out uh, now for just a couple of months, is called The Enneagram of Discernment, The Way of Vocation, Wisdom, and Practice, and I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, also, I am just super excited to share uh, with you a little bit about my upcoming book that comes out November 2020. November 2nd, 2020 is the release date for Let God Send, Crossing Boundaries and Serving in Christ's Name And I just wanted to take a a moment to just tell you a little bit about it, including a whole bunch of pre-order bonuses. So if you were listening to this before November 2nd, 2020, you can go to letgodsend.com and there you can actually sign up to get bonuses if you pre-order the book right now. So uh, I would really encourage you to go and do that. One of those pre-order bonuses is actually... uh, I will give you free copies, free ebooks of my first two books in this Let God series. So, Let God Be God and Let God Be Present. And this idea of letting God is a real theme for me. And I actually think getting our heads around this theme of letting God uh, is a struggle for lots of people. Uh, for sure I want to do good things in my life and I really try to go after them and I also want to serve others and I try to do that and actually in this interview today you'll hear a bunch about like striving to, to do things um, but sometimes the idea of going after things that I want and also trying to serve others those don't always go coexist together very well. And I uh, I think we actually need to spend time thinking about, am I putting myself first or am I letting God, even letting God work through me? Um, it's Letting God is about us getting out of our own way and realizing that grace of all graces, God is up to something. But we're not just passive, right? So this latest book, Let God Send, is all about how God is at work in our doings and our taking the next step. And you might think, hold on a second, we're in a pandemic, things are bad, anxiety's high, we're struggling with racial tensions. Is this really the time to be talking about making bold moves for God? Actually, I think yes. And and here's why. The usual way of talking about this idea of of taking a step and getting out there and being active um the usual way of talking about this is is to have our own ideas of what those bold moves are or even what our own small steps should be but this book let god send is all about people in the bible who lived through the incredibly uncertain steps that god was asking them to take in a very uncertain world um and sometimes Those characters in Scripture, they had no idea how huge their actions would end up being. Um, So I I just want to share with you a really short excerpt from the book uh, that might help you in in your thinking this through um, what this means uh, to take a step. So here's a small excerpt, not very long, from Let God Send, uh, my new book. We can be tempted to not take a step until everything is perfectly aligned. We think we need curriculum, training, vast volunteer armies, charismatic leaders, and plenty of money in the budget. But the time when we are weak may be the best time to respond to God sending us out. This way, success is only possible through radical trust in God, and the power of God will be all the more evident. This line of thinking is often found in the stories of the people that God consistently calls through Scripture— Mary, a young girl of no real consequence, is chosen as the mother of Jesus, who is born not in splendor and majesty but in a small town and laid among the straw of a feed trough. The first witnesses and heralds of the miraculous birth of the King of Kings are not governors or princes but lowly shepherds who just happen to be living nearby." Over and over again, God chooses regular people—shepherds, fishermen, tax collectors—though none of them are particularly well-equipped for their tasks. Even at the end of years of training with Jesus, his group of disciples is still small and fragile. Just eleven gathered for their great commissioning. If for a moment we believe that the great commission at the end of Matthew's gospel was some idyllic scene— we must not forget why there are only 11 and not 12 disciples. Judas was among them until his terrible betrayal and then his suicide. The 11 is not just a small number. It is a number that brings up their incompletion and their very real pain. A friend had turned on their Lord and then turned away from life itself. These 11 disciples had to live with the pain of that, and yet they are still commissioned. And we know that they went. The conditions of our lives will never be perfect to respond to the sending call of God. All right, so that's my short excerpt, and I hope you'll take a look at this little book of mine and you'll give it a shot, uh, and maybe you'll even invite a few friends to read it with you or share about the book uh, with your friends. Uh, share it on social media if you want. Tag me on Instagram or send me a message through Facebook or even just email me. Uh, you can email me at matt at And I would just love to hear from you, especially if you are thinking of doing this as a book study with a group of people, uh, just some friends or through your church. Uh, You can actually email me and ask me about bulk ordering, too, because we have uh, some great discounts for that if you order direct. So yeah, send me an email if you know you want more than 10 copies, uh, and that would be great. But also, you can just, again, go to letgodsend.com, and you can actually find out more details there, but also you can sign up for pre-order bonuses. So I mentioned the two e-books that you can get for free. Also, uh, there's going to be a downloadable study guide for groups that's one of the pre-order bonuses, and I'm super excited about this, especially if you're a regular listener to this podcast. Uh, because I know now you like listening to audio, Uh, we are putting together an audiobook for this book. So uh, and that's one of the pre-order bonuses. There's a limited number of audiobooks that I can give away. um, And there's a really easy way to to get that onto a device for you to listen to. Um, So I'm just super excited about that. All right, that's lots about my book. Um, this interview with Drew uh, is just a really great interview. And um, so I hope you'll listen through to the end. It's kind of a longer one today, um, but I think it's really a worthwhile conversation. And I hope you enjoy it, even if you have to listen to it in several parts. Uh, all right, everyone. Uh, here's the interview now with Drew Mosier. Drew is a college professor at Taylor University. Um, but is also uh, someone who is all about the Enneagram. That's, that's what I'll say. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and has a book, uh, his latest, there's a few books that he's written, but his latest book is called The Enneagram of Discernment, The Way of Vocation, Wisdom, and Practice. And, um, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about the Enneagram today. I haven't actually ever talked about the Enneagram on this podcast So we'll maybe do a little bit of an introduction, but also maybe talk about a couple of other things too. Um, Drew also has a podcast uh, that he co-hosts with a couple of friends called The Fathoms Podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't realize you had that podcast until I I read your book. And then I I started reading your book and then looked you up and uh, realized that was there. And I was actually quite taken with the image of uh, a fathom. Yeah. And in that you talk about in the book. And uh, and this idea that over time that word uh, didn't originally mean this, but it came to mean the way in which we understand a difficult problem or situation, we take the time to penetrate the surface and bit by bit come to a place of comprehension. So I'm actually quoting you to yourself. Yeah. Um, so I love that because um, I think it's a good image for talking about the Enneagram or even just spirituality in general because... You actually get something out of it, even at a at a surface level. All these, like, yeah, oh yeah, uh, nautical images at a surface level. But you can continually go deeper, and so right. so I'd love to hear you just kind of explain, like, where
0: did that word fathoms come from? Why did you want to name your podcast that too? <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate you asking that because it is it's an important uh, image for me and how I go about my work and my life. Uh, and, uh, I, I came at the word when I was doing uh, writing, co-writing my book on vocation called ready or not. Hmm. And uh, I actually wanted to call that book fathom, but it was hmm. too vague for the publisher, you know, publishers, right. Uh, right. they have their, their things they're looking for. Um, but I was compelled by the idea that the way, uh, Mariners, uh, or sailors would measure the depths of where they were as they'd take a length of rope and span it across their wingspan and then drop it in the water with a weight on it, of course, so it would fall. And they do that over and over again with each wingspan length being a fathom. Hmm. I think it's a profound lesson for us when we uh, often feel overwhelmed or that there's too much information. We are saturated with information to the point where we feel like we're at a point of paralysis of decision-making. And if we can just wrap our arms around something length by length, bit by bit, we can better understand where we are and the depths of where we are. So I think it's, it's a helpful image in all sorts of spheres of life, whether it's the Enneagram, spirituality, more, you know, more broadly, um, any subject I think uh, can easily be overwhelming because we have untold amounts of information at our Thumb tips at all times, and so how do we even know where to begin? And I think it's a
1: helpful way to get there. I like that it's thumb tips now because it's on your phone.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah right, right. Fingertips doesn't really work anymore. <laughs> doesn't anymore. Work anymore. Yeah, yeah you're, my kids would make fun of me if I use my fingertips, you know, to text or something.
1: <laughs> That's really good. Um, yeah, I really like that, and I wanted to start that off the top because if people at some point feel even a little overwhelmed listening to this conversation. Like that's, that's okay. Yeah. Um, stick with it. And there, there are different depths to things and, uh, and it's actually okay. Like I think sometimes a uh, surface understanding or surface level, I think that gets a bad rap. I, I think it's actually okay to be at the surface sometimes oh, yeah. and, and start there. Like that's our starting Absolutely. point. That's, that's okay. Um, so maybe just lots of people on the podcast might not be familiar with the Enneagram at all. Um, sure. Who are listening. So, Can you give us like the thumbnail sketch of of what it is? I'm I'm familiar with it, but
0: yeah, um, I'll do my best. Um, Yeah. So the Enneagram very simply and originally means uh, this figure of nine. And so, if you start to dig into the history of the Enneagram, you'll see that there's all these kind of traces of nine things grouped together in some intentional way. So when we talk about the enneagram now though or today what we're really doing is we're talking about the enneagram of personality most of the time. Which is this personality typing system which can help us understand nine different types of people. So in that way it's it's a lot like any other personality typing system that you've experienced whether it's Myers-Briggs, strengths finder, big 5, you know some of the other ones that are uh, more popular. What makes it a little bit different than those uh, other typologies is that uh, the enneagram doesn't really work at the behavioral level or even really the cognitive level. What it really does is help you understand the motivations beneath your behavior. So, for instance, um, a, a type three, known as the achiever, and a type five, known as the investigator. Yeah, I'm a type three as well. So oh, I am too. Um, and uh, those two types could be exhibiting the exact same behaviors, but they would be doing so from very different motivations. And that's what the Enneagram gets into over the course of nine different types of people. Right. Um, so we get one you know, little layer deeper than the surface. It's not just, though, a personality typing system. It's also often used kind of in a, in a spiritual way as well mm-hmm. as a spiritual technology, if you will. Mm-hmm. I like to think of it, and I'm not the only one that thinks of it this way, that it it is uh, could help us understand nine ways in which we reflect the image of God. Hmm. Uh, but also, this is some of the bad news of <laughs> the Enneagram, <laughs> is that it also shows us maybe perhaps nine default ways in which we struggle with that truth that we're made in the image of God, but attempt to manufacture it on our own with some mixed results. Hmm. So it's... it's a uh, it's on on the very surface level it's a personality typing system but there's a lot that can be integrated with spirituality
1: right right um i think one of the things that um that i found helpful is just hearing about um and i think you did this on your on your podcast which i which i recommend to people um on the very first episode kind of telling a bit of your Enneagram story like how yeah. did you encounter oh, sure. it and where did it come from and so maybe we can share ours a little bit um yeah. mine and yours and uh because I think I know for me I was I was super skeptical mm-hmm. um and now I'm uh, as was I yeah I'm a believer I guess yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh would you like me to go first with yeah that, you, you go first
1: and you? then we'll I'll follow you up
0: yeah so I um I was on a non-profit Uh, ministry staff in Vancouver, British Columbia, back in uh, 2008 and 2009. And uh, I was introduced to the Enneagram as part of a staff development training. And I went into it very skeptical, thinking, okay, another thing that's going to reduce me to these very simplistic stereotypes, I'm not sure what I'm going to get out of this, But the facilitator had us take, I think, uh, one of the more common tests. It's known as the REDI, which is the Rizzo Hudson Enneagram Type Indicator, R H E T I. And I took the test and started looking through the results and was astonished. It felt like someone had been reading my mail for a very long time, you know, who knew it it was speaking to parts of myself that I knew, but even in some ways had uh, difficulty bringing. Or ascribing language to. And so it it was both inspiring and a little creepy, to be honest, because I thought, oh man, uh, how does this thing get me so well? Now that's not everyone's experience when they take an Enneagram test, but it was just mine. And so I've been fascinated with it ever since and have been using, um, my entire career has been spent kind of in the helping Space in one way or the other, whether it's church ministry or nonprofit leadership or uh, at at a college now, and it's been one of the more helpful tools and resources that I have. And so, uh, in the past five or six years, I've done a much deeper study on it. uh, You know, sitting at the the feet of some of the major enneagram teachers, such as Mm -hmm. Suzanne Stabile, and you know, and and some others to kind of dig deeper into it, Mm -hmm. uh, which is then eventually what led to the book. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for me um yeah, I was immediately turned off of of it. Um and this is a number of number of years ago now, probably like 20 years ago was the first time I heard the word and okay. might have been through our seminary possibly or through a retreat center. I can't exactly remember, but um I just I also had just an aversion to spirituality, like I was training to be a presbyterian minister and really like it's we should just read the Bible and preach and yeah. that's it. Um and uh, and and so now I have a podcast called Spirituality for Ordinary People. But uh, yeah, ironic, part, right? <laughs> right. Part of that was exploring and realizing, you know, spiritual. Everyone has a spirituality. Is kind of what I think now. Sure. And and these practices can be helpful things. And I used to just sort of poo poo them in a way, or say like, ah, oh, that's sort of weird or mm-hmm. woo woo. And I saw the Enneagram as kind of in that same category, and possibly even because if people go and look it up, you'll see a symbol that's like a circle with the with numbers one through nine and then like sort of like different connecting lines in between and it might look anti-christian potentially (laughs) sure sure. to to put it nicely um so i looked at that i thought like that looks really at best weird and at worst potentially satanic right (laughs) Um, yeah yeah and um and so I, i and i just ignored it um and then a number of years ago, it became, you know, it was becoming more popular. I was just hearing about it more. And I was hearing about it more in the personality tests kind of yeah. language. And I actually don't, I kind of like personality tests. I enjoyed taking Myers-Briggs and, and, yeah. and Finder, and found those helpful. I kind of learned a little bit about myself, but I didn't find them particularly applicable all the time, if that makes sense. So I would find them, okay, that, that gave me some insight in the moment when I found the results of the test and then six months later that I've really hadn't gone anywhere. Like it hadn't yeah. really made much difference in in what I'm doing, how I'm living, how I'm understanding myself or how I'm understanding the team that I'm working with. Right. So that's fine. But once I realized the Enneagram, cause kind of in that space, I thought, okay, I'll take the test. And I took the same, the online test, the one that you just mentioned I took, and it was a little bit inconclusive, which is mm-hmm. normal for me it's in common, personality yeah. tests as well. Like my, you know, introvert and extrovert is kind of on the bubble. And, um, and so the same thing, I was kind of like, well, it looks like it's maybe I'm either a one or a three. Uh, I think there was a couple of other numbers, but those are the ones when I read them as well. I'm like, those kind of sound like me. And it did not have the same impact that you had in reading it and just, oh my goodness. Um, But then I was at a workshop maybe two years ago, uh, that was, um, through a coaching network that I'm a part of for, uh, for church planting. Um, and, uh, Chris Hewarts was the, was the speaker and he was talking about the Enneagram as a way of, uh, potentially helping coaching clients. Mm. And, um, and so I thought, oh, okay, that'll be interesting. But he just kind of had to walk us through like, well, what is it? How do you understand your own type? And how do you, like, how do you apply this in your own life first before you can right. ever move on to, to help the, in someone else's? And uh, I had had uh, Felina, his wife, on my podcast talking about her book uh, in the past oh, as yeah. well. Um, and as he started walking through, you know, he started with, you know, the type one and described that. And that was one of the ones that I thought might be me. Um, and I was, uh, I was listening. And I was like, oh, you yeah, know, that sounds right. Some of this maybe not. And then he got to type three, and everything he said, I'm, I'm looking around in the room, thinking, like, does he, like, does he know me? Like, did he get yeah. like notes from his wife or something? Like, right. I don't know how he figured this out. And, uh, and I'm wondering, like, I felt like exposed. Like, all of a sudden, like, people. How how can he know this about like my inner thoughts, things that have happened, <laughs> not details of events, but just like how I would have thought about things like, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, yeah, you know, right, right. Um, and so that was my experience of then realizing, oh, my goodness, there's a lot of power in this as a as a tool, a way of understanding yeah. myself. Um, and it didn't really go away. So I haven't done a lot of like Enneagram research or gone into it as much as you have or or other teachers of it. Um, but I find that it continues to return, like, some of the learnings and and some of the, even the cursory readings that I've done. Three months later, eight months later, suddenly it's like, oh, I'm reacting that way because right. I'm type three and that means this. Yeah, And, and right. it was really, really helpful, especially in sort of checking my own behavior of like, oh, okay, that's why I'm feeling terrible about this. Right. Yeah. Or... And, and it was just helpful, you know. It, it became really, really helpful for me. So I've, I've really appreciated it. Um, without going too deep in, in our sure. fathoms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but you, you speak to a few things that are really important about the Enneagram. It's that it is dynamic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's not a static. So it's once you learn that you're a Type Three, for instance. That's not the end of the story. In fact, right. I, I consider it to be the trailhead <laughs> to a, right. a deeper understanding of who you are. Right. Uh, because there's a lot of growth and development pathways that are illuminated by the Enneagram. Um, and you have a dominant type, but it doesn't mean you don't have aspects of the other types. So even right. your own kind of, am I a one, am I a three, You know that three? Uh, you'll find resonance, points of resonance in many of the types, if not all of them. But it really is a matter of which one is dominant, which one is helping you, you know, cope, thrive, survive in the world <laughs> and make sense of it. That's the one you're relying upon. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I love that. Um, so your book is um is called the Enneagram of Discernment. So you mentioned Enneagram of Personality. Yeah. Um, but what's the Enneagram of Discernment?
0: Yeah. So what I'm doing. Within the book is employing that enneagram of personality, which is that modern expression of the enneagram, but specifically to the field of discernment. Hmm. So I have this hunch that we are rich in information but poor in wisdom, and what we need uh, more than ever is wisdom cultivation in our lives. In order, we don't need more information; we've got plenty of information. What we need is is wisdom in order to make good, sound decisions, because everyone every day is faced with hundreds if not thousands of decisions. And and I think our personality type helps and hinders us in that decision-making process. And until we raise our own sense of self-awareness, we may not realize how that's happening. So what I do in the book is I apply the enneagram and introduce what I call the way of discernment, which are nine which is nine questions of discernment that everyone I think would benefit from when encountering or facing a challenging decision. So it infuses uh, what we know about the Enneagram, what can be helpful to us in better understanding who we are and who we are not. And applying that to these nine questions in a way that can help us uh, discern our lives with more wisdom.
1: Okay. Can you give us an example of that? Like, is that, uh, (laughs) yeah, this, this all might sound pretty esoteric (laughs) for, for folks, but yeah.
0: yeah. and and so uh what I could do is just briefly introduce the nine questions. Yeah, sure, that'd be great. And so and th- these can be applied to any any important decision that requires some complexity.
1: Right. Would you say like before you get into the questions like would you say that if you are a particular type you might like lean more naturally towards one of them and then others you might like
0: oh, I don't know. Yeah. So certain types, uh, focus on these questions, nat- some of these questions naturally and right. ignore the others <laughs> right. and vice versa. So just in, in, in the book, I talk, I, I talk each for each type where some of the pitfalls or blind spots or, um, stumbling blocks are, uh, on this way of discernment.
1: Yeah. Okay. Specific
0: to each type. That so in the way of discernment, um, it, I traverse what I call three territories. So the first one is vocation. I think that is really the foundation of discernment. We need to understand uh, who we are, why we're here and where we're going. So those three questions that form this vocation space in the way of discernment, who Mm -hmm. am I? This, This is the question of identity. Why am I here? This is a question of purpose. And where am I going? This is a question of direction. And these are foundational because I've, I've learned with all my work in, in studying, researching, and writing on vocation, if we don't know who we are, we can't really hear a sense of calling very well. So, so we start there, and then we move into uh, another territory uh, that I call wisdom. This is where we really look to the full range of intelligence that God has given us uh, and to, to steward well. And this draws from, uh, the Enneagram really uh, is built upon three centers of intelligence. So how we perceive and process, uh, our world, our heads, our hearts, and our guts. And then there's some interesting resonance with some new Testament <laughs> passages there and, um, a more of a new Testament way of thinking. And so it asks question, these three questions in this, uh, wisdom kind of triad of questions. What am I thinking? What am I feeling, and what am I doing? So when we encounter an important decision, whether it's what car am I going to buy, or where am I going to live, or um, or what type of job or career should I pursue, we need to be uh, aware of our thoughts, our emotions, and just what our bodies are telling us. And if we kind of integrate those, we'll have a we'll we'll be able to cultivate wisdom. And then uh, the final set of three questions, which rounds out the the nine in total, uh, would be the practice territory. And here I specifically look at how we encounter or neglect time. So if we look at time and, and kind of the three perspectives of time, the past, the present and the future, then we have three really important questions we have to consider when we're making a decision. What am I remembering? This is where we look to the past because the past shapes us in profound ways. We can learn from the past. Um, what am I experiencing? This is where we tend to our present kind of state. What am I experiencing right now that can help me, uh, make it a good and sound decision. And then we can look to the future and what am I anticipating? And so if we put all those nine questions together, when we're, when we're, uh, faced with a really complex decision, I think these nine questions, it's not a foolproof formula, but it can help us really reflect with some depth no have it with a, a better understanding of our own personality type and how we tend to maybe skip over certain questions or uh fixate on certain questions at the at the sake of our own wisdom formation
1: yeah so i can see like so would your advice be for me like so i'm a 3 so you yeah. can probably guess which questions I will go to and which ones I'll skip. Yeah. <laughs> is yes. Like I, on that last one in particular, because you'll know that right away I'll probably want to focus on the last category there. Sure. Sure. Um, of, of direction. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to talk at all about remembering or experiencing. I, I <laughs> right. only want to talk about anticipating. Look like ahead. I, yeah. I only want to look ahead. So is your advice to say, I need to take some time to, to actually right. look at those, look at those first two.
0: Yeah. So uh, as a three and I'm a type three, so I can speak from my own experience. Yeah. I struggle with, uh, let's, if we look at time, I struggle with looking to the past, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: because I want it. It's, it's the past is prologue. You know, it's, it's yeah. history. It's, it's in the past. So It's in the past. Yeah. Let's move on, <laughs> you know? And, and so I'm present <laughs> enough to get the task done so I can move on to the next task, right? right? As an achiever, that's what threes often do. They are presently focused, but they always have one eye kind of wandering towards what's next, right? right. Uh, and so uh, it's really important for us to intentionally lean into that question, what am I remembering? Because it's not something that we tend to consider when we're faced with a complex decision. Right.
1: And, and I think I would, I would have even trouble seeing how it's relevant.
0: Right. It seems like a drag, right? Right. Uh, but if we're honest and if we can lean into that question, it will probably let our hearts catch up with our heads and our bodies, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, uh, brings up another blind spot question for threes, which is what am I feeling? Right. Back in, in that you know, wisdom set of questions. Yes that's one we tend to neglect feeling the feeling intelligence isn't as important to us, right? Cause feelings are direct. Cause if we let our if we slow down enough to let our hearts catch up, we have to encounter some of our past mistakes, right. you know, our, some of our past hurts, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing for us, you know, um, because we can learn from those and we can, uh, uh, you know, Uh, encounter those with some sense of integrity and authenticity, which is what we need because that will make us more wise. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You can also see how like in conversation or in say teams or group decision making, like I think for, for me in the church and also just in businesses, like there's lots of times where you're making group decisions. Yeah. um, You can see how like one particular mode gets, um, gets valued over another um or different team members can't necessarily see why something else would be valued um so i would say like often thinking gets valued a lot more over feeling yeah um in in often in group at least groups that i'm in yeah that that tends to be valued a lot more
0: yeah i and i think that there is some level of application to group dynamics as well here yeah. i mean i mean the book is really focused on our own individual work as it relates to others. But you can begin to see that there some of these patterns exist with the groups that we're involved in. Yeah, um, And if if they're aligned with how we typically like to function, you know, uh, then yeah. that doesn't seem like a bad thing, uh, even though it might be. Uh, but if they're out of line, then it feels excruciating to be in some of those groups sometimes. Like,
1: Yeah, it also made me realize that there's other individuals in those groups who are approaching their de- their decision making and what they're bringing up in the conversation from that particular perspective. So understanding like the other types is actually super helpful because suddenly like someone's always talking about, well, this just doesn't sit right with me. And I'm like, well, if you can't actually explain why it doesn't sit right with you, then why would we listen to you?
0: Well, right. And so, yo, you're exactly right. And so this is what the Enneagram should do. It it should help us look uh, more deeply at who we are, and yeah. areas in which we can grow and develop and change. Right. And while we're doing that, it should also give us empathy towards others, realizing, yeah. hey, because it, it does, if you're honest with the Enneagram, it realize, hey, not everyone uh, is motivated in the same way that I am. And right. that, and that, that it has implications, yeah.
1: That was a huge thing that happened for me, actually, was realizing, oh, okay, you mean everybody doesn't see the world that way? Right. Like, I there are certain parts of me that I thought, that's universal. And then I realized, Oh no, that's not universal. Like there's, there's one of nine types that, that operates out of that. Um, Yeah.
0: And I think worldview or, you know, I've heard it described in this way that the nine types can be each their own lens through which they see and perceive the world. And I think that can, that's, that rings true to me. It, um, and helpful for me to understand, Hey, not everyone's viewing this the same way that I am.
1: I think I also spend a lot of time, um, in, uh, in like group discernment mode, um, so working with church planters, one of the things that we really heavily emphasize, we actually call them discerners.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: and uh, before they become starters, so it's basically there's a whole bunch of discerning work to do. But what is God up to is is the main question for sure. before them. Before you can actually start, you know, planting a church or starting a, starting a new ministry um but we also emphasize that that needs to be done in community. So I think yeah. this would be quite a helpful way of of coming at that and really understanding themselves because if you don't understand what you are bringing into that conversation you're 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 going to be messed in in the end, right?
0: Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah.
1: So I think that's why I really I really enjoyed um, I read the book too fast. Actually, I think there was a warning in the intro to say this is something you need to read uh more slowly. Yeah. So I need to well, go back to it You for always sure. go back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was like, I gotta get as much in as I can before I do this interview, but uh yeah. but I'm going back for sure because it was there was tons of great stuff in there. Um is there anything else in in sort of those you've kind of just outlined those nine questions. Yeah. Um what else would you want to bring forward out of those out of those nine things that you think would be a particular help for, for people?
0: Yeah, I think a few things. One, uh, the Enneagram, like I said before, I made a very general statement that our personality type can help and hinder us when it comes to discernment. Yeah. And I think uh, the way that that's fleshed out is by understanding that the Enneagram is perpetually triadic. So one, one of the kind of core aspects of the nine types is that they uh, there's all sorts of different ways you can group different types together by something that they share in common. Right. So these aren't just nine islands, you know, in some sort of ocean that really have nothing to do with one another. But um, for instance, the type three has all these kind of connections with some other types in certain groups. And so what I do is I, I make sense of that in a way that helps you understand, um, I hope how uh, these questions can um, be either really natural to certain types, but also really challenging for certain types. Um, so the example would be that "What am I feeling?" question for the type three. That is, they share a, a common grouping with sevens and eights. Sevens are known as the enthusiasts, and eights are known as the challengers, and they share a common grouping called, known as the assertive group and they tend to be kind of more forceful in the world <laughs> and as a result they tend to neglect feelings and their emotional intelligence or it's misused as strategy or intel- as opposed to developing em- empathy. So that question what am I feeling is really challenging for those three types and each type has its own you know set of challenges that it brings and so I, I make sense of that um, in the book in a way that I think can help you adopt some practices. in your daily life to help kind of shore that up a little bit sure so can we spend a little bit of time
1: with that then with like what am i feeling because and and how maybe those particular types three seven and you said three seven and eight
0: yeah Yeah. how
1: they might respond to that because i have a sense i have a a a good friend who's Mm -hmm. an eight and i have a sense for how she might respond i have a sense for how i would respond yeah um but yeah like like i know like if i was gonna try to try I'll I'll be really crass about my try but if I was going to try to answer that question my typical response to how are you feeling would be like I feel like we should do (laughs) this
0: because I'm an achiever Pivot. yeah
1: like I don't actually address the actual feelings right yeah
0: Right. And that is the challenge for three sevens and eights, but for different reasons. Yeah. And so this gets at this common drive of each type and how it tends to then thwart emotional intelligence. So for the three, what the three wants most deeply is value and worth. And when they don't feel valuable or worthy inherently, they will seek to manufacture it at every turn, <laughs> right? Which is why threes are so productive and and, and so good at achieving, Now, what that means then is often emotions are pushed to the side for the sake of the to-do list to accomplish. For the seven, uh, their deepest kind of want or desire uh, is contentment. Hmm. That's what's driving them. And so when that is uh, at risk, they will go find it wherever they can or try to manufacture it themselves. These are why sevens are known as the enthusiasts. They're the ones that bring the fun, bring the levity. They're the ones you want to go on a trip with. Uh, They're the ones kind of rallying the troops to go do something fun or exciting. But what what often comes is that they aren't willing to sit in an environment if it's getting painful or boring. So when those emotions tend to come into play, uh, they'll want to push them aside and go do something that continues the excitement or contentment eights at their core, they want protection. This is what's driving them. And so when that is threatened, they'll go on and they'll have the posture that the the best uh, defense is a good offense. And so this is why they're known as the challengers. They're very forceful. And so they will control a situation, even if they don't want to be in charge of it in order to ensure that protection of themselves and those they care about still exist. And so, uh, what that often means is that uh, they'll push the, maybe, especially some of the more tender or vulnerable emotions down <laughs> to keep kind of this armor on as they go about the world, as they navigate the world. And so, each, each of those three types then is struggling with that question, what am I feeling? But for very different reasons. And it, and it can then, and the way in which they go about coping with that can look different.
1: Does that help? Yeah, I think so. Um, and, but then, like, of course, this is like the classic like achiever question. Is like, oh, so then what do I do? Like now, like, <laughs> yeah, now.
0: right. I think and it's threes, a good question, though. <laughs> no, <laughs> it is. It is. Um, and and so, what I encourage threes to do uh, is to develop in the book what I call wise hearts. Hmm. And so, and, and to see that their emotional intelligence is not simply for them to get what they want out of relationships or to work the room effectively, but it actually is for cultivating important relationships that really don't have an agenda outside of the relationship itself, right? And that also means uh, for me, just to be quite honest, it meant uh, seeing a counselor because I needed to broaden my range of what my vocabulary of emotions and to be able to identify them beyond just the simplistic, like I really felt if you've seen the movie inside out. Yeah. Yeah. You know that, um, so the child, I have a 10 year old daughter. So yeah. Yeah. Very simple, pure emotions. Yeah. And, and the, the the arc of the story is that they get more complex over time and yeah. that's hard, but eventually that's okay. Right. Well, I, you know, I, if I'm being honest, I think it would, it was very easy for me to stay, In that very simple, pure, limited range of emotions. And I needed to expand. Expand my understanding and ability to see and perceive that, and I think that's important work for threes.
1: So what's the what's the gift in that of doing that work? Like what what's on the other side of that for for three?
0: Yeah, well, it's a lifelong process for me, so I sure. can't say that I'm on the yeah. other side. Okay, sure. But, um, so I don't want people to think that I slightly feel like I've, uh, I've slightly arrived. towards the other side. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think it it means that um, uh, I intentionally engage in relationships that don't have an agenda or kind of to-do list attached mm-hmm. to them mm-hmm. that I, I have a people in my life that I am investing in and receiving investment from that really have nothing to do with my goals. Um, and, and they are important to me not because they help me get anywhere, right? Right. Um, It also helps me understand that a lot of my achieving orientation is to fill a void. And so I'm becoming, pun intended, more discerning in what I say yes to and what I say no to. Because uh, saying no to a three feels like a failure. And so what we often do is we often say yes to things that we shouldn't even be going anywhere near, Even if they're good things, we often say we often find ourselves. Why did I say yes to this thing? You know, Um, and and so it's helped me to cultivate the art of saying no because I'm recognizing my emotional world more effectively. Saying like, hey, this my motivations to say yes to this are not where they should be, so I need to say no. That's been my experience. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's really good i'll 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 have to i'll come back and listen to this episode as well to remind <laughs> myself to do that yeah, be, it's hard really it's really hard, yeah. really hard yeah um yeah uh i wonder um i do want to talk about uh sacred delay as well um because i think yeah. it's a kind of a neat uh, concept and something that's maybe this, I don't want this all to be just about threes because we have two threes sure. talking to one another, but, um, but it is helpful for me, um, as well. Uh, the thing that I'm wondering too, is that I think there can be a temptation when, especially when someone's new to the Enneagram, I know I did this a little bit at the beginning was to kind of see my own deficiencies or my own like tendencies and then not to necessarily see, okay, so what, what gift am I bringing them? Sure. Um, so we might want to do that a yeah. little bit just to say like, well, with a three or with a seven or with an eight, the feeling question is hard and right. there's some work to do there, but then right. what gift are we bringing in, in this set of nine questions mm-hmm. yeah. um, that, that might be, that might be helpful. Like when is it good to go with your natural instinct, I guess is, sure. Sure. is maybe part of that question.
0: Yeah. And so as it relates to, uh, these three intelligence centers, you know, there's different ways to group. I already mentioned the assertive types as three, sevens and eights. Uh, those are types that are grouped together by a a common kind of challenge with their emotional center (laughs) of intelligence for different reasons, as I mentioned. Uh, but also that perspective on time, they tend, these are the types that tend to be very future focused and tend to neglect the past. And so what I recommend for these types are uh, is what I call a sacred delay. And that is instead of having kind of a uh, ready, fire, aim approach to life, maybe <laughs> slow down a little bit and take at least some time to slow down and reflect, which is something that we t- struggle to do because th- these types are really good at just being decisive and going for it. So that sacred dilly is really important for threes and sevens and eights um, because it does it overlaps with this uh, question of what am I feeling because it allows like I said before for the heart to catch up to the head and the body which sometimes we're prone to leave behind now uh, there's in this same grouping this particular grouping it's called the stances of the Enneagram there's a few different names but I think stances are most common so if you think about Three, sevens, and eights are assertive kind of in the world. Even if it's an internal assertion, they have an agenda, they can be kind of forceful, and so they tend to be more assertive. Uh, Ones, which are known as the reformers, twos, which are known as the helpers, and sixes, which are known as the loyalists, uh, they form a similar group, but they're known as more the dependent types. And they tend to be more dependent in terms of their own kind of internal sense of responsibility, And so these types are very present-focused, often by the tyranny of the urgent. So if you know some ones, some twos, or sixes in your lives, they're often very focused on what's right in front of them. But what they struggle with is the future, other than just anticipating maybe a bad future. (laughs) So they struggle with vision. And so I, I recommend that these types cultivate a sacred vision that they actually carve out space to dream and think and plan beyond just uh, what's right in front of them. So lifting up their gaze a little bit to scan the horizon is really important for these types. And then the the third stance is known as the withdrawing stance. And these are the fours, which are known as the individualists, or sometimes the romantics, Uh, the fives, which are known as the investigators and then the nines, which are known as the peacemakers and uh, these types tend to be more past focus. They tend to long for what was or they vacillate between longing for what was and longing for or hoping for what could be and they tend to neglect the present. And and so my recommendation to these types is to cultivate what I call sacred presence, uh, which is tending to what matters most. So fours, fives, and nines have no trouble staying busy, but it's often to avoid the one thing that really needs to be done, right? And so, um, depending on how we look at time, then there, we have kind of our gaps that we need to shore up or fill in a little bit so that we can live in, you know, what I call drawing from a new Testament reference, the fullness of time. And in so doing, I think bring our full selves, you know, sacrificially, uh, to, uh, what we are called to do. And and in so doing, I think we, we make decisions more wisely. Does that help? I think so. Yeah. I, I think the
1: hard thing is, is it's complicated, right? And it's, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Enneagram is complicated, it um, is, yeah. but it's actually, it's super helpful. I think if people are hearing things that they think, oh, that's a glimpse of something that I want to yeah. know more about, I think we need to, we can provide them with, with ways to do that. Um, sure. There's lots of stuff online about the Enneagram um, yeah. where people can go and get information about it. Um, but I think for me, like one of the big things would be like you're just giving us one of the groupings here that's particularly right. applicable to this this topic um of discernment, especially, but there's other groupings you talk about in the book like uh different different ones different configurations that of these threes um it should also be telling for Christians that oh wow, look at that things grouped in threes that's uh, right we seem to have a good concept for there's, that yeah, we do um and uh but yeah, I think um. Uh, what I take from it is, Oh, I'm going to respond similarly to different people at different times and in different situations. Right. And so like, sometimes I'm going to have this affinity with uh, sevens and sevens and eights, but there might be other situations that actually put me in a, in a different, in a different group or a different category. I might respond in a different way. And so it does get complicated, but it, my general thing that I try to remember is, Oh, okay. I I'm part of this because I'm working in teams or in groups a lot yeah. um, is that, okay, I'm, resp- I'm going to respond in my way. Probably there's people in this room that are not responding in the same way as me. Yeah. Um, and I find the that your focus on time is actually really helpful because it's, I think that's something people don't think about very much at all. Right. Yet it's in our language a lot and it's, It's there all the time, but we're just not paying attention. And like a a basic example is, oh, we've always done it that way. You know, people know that (laughs) example. Right. It's a real example. We hear that all the time. Um, But you might just have like, for me as an achiever, I use that phrase as a way of discounting the past. Right. Right. Like, don't tell me we've always done it that way. Now that's become cliche as a thing that you should never say. As an excuse for, well, we can't move forward on a new idea. Right. Um, But actually, as a three, I probably need to listen to the stories of the past or pay attention to that and also pay attention to how I feel about that. Yeah. Um, And and I might have, there might be group wisdom there as well as we, as, as a group discerns together about a specific course of action. Um so I find that super helpful to just kind of think through like oh yeah we all kind of react to time differently and have an orientation to time differently. Yeah. Some are future oriented, some are present oriented, some are past More oriented. Pe- right. And that's all okay. We actually have lots to learn from one another and we need to try to put ourselves in the in in the places where we might not
0: normally go. Yeah. And, and so what I try to do in the book is uh, make sure and honor that all three of those perspectives, the past, the present, and the future are essential. So there's not a hierarchy here. Right. And I think in, especially in North American culture, uh, the future oriented types can be exalted, you know, yes. three sevens and eights as leaders, as visionaries. Right. And uh, while that certainly may be true, Uh, there's so much we can learn from our past, right? We're, we're experiencing that right now, you know, uh, especially in in the States, you know, we are being confronted with a very difficult past Hmm. and we have to engage it, right? If we are going to change, we have to come to terms with a past that is very difficult and challenging, especially as it relates to race. Um, and so that's really important.
1: The same thing in Canada. Um, you know, that's, uh, particularly our uh, relationship with indigenous people in Canada.
0: Sure, sure. And, and then we also need to honor those people who are willing to, um, to drop whatever they had planned to tend to what matters most, you know, in the present. Yeah. And, and, you know, those, and so we need to find ways to uh, live in healthy rhythms of past, present, and future in order for us to live with wisdom. Right, we can't just be future focused. I mean, a lot of us had,
1: a lot of us got some unwanted experience of that, of having like all of our travel plans canceled. Right,
0: <laughs> right, right. And I had, um, so uh, one friend t- talked to me about a really toxic boss that he had had before, and he he described it this way, and he said he's in a speedboat, and he's standing at the helm, and he's looking ahead at kind of clear water. It's a beautiful picture ahead what he doesn't see is that in the wake is just destruction and carnage yeah. and churning you know and, and i think that's what can happen uh for for example if types or groups are too future focused right they uh, everything ahead looks great but they don't see the damage they're doing right now and what that has caused in the past and and so and we could say that for any particular time perspective right. and this is why it's so helpful once we understand our type our personality type on the enneagram we can start to unpack some of these tendencies that we have and see okay that may be helpful to me in some ways but it's also hurtful to me in other ways and and those around me yeah and so i can begin to work on that
1: yeah and i really like the the integrated approach you have because um like i know that i can bounce between discounting others um, yeah. In favor of like what I'm trying to accomplish, I go from that extreme to the other extreme of discounting what I have to offer. Right. Um, and uh, and so because I then I kind of think, oh, I'm I'm doing too much here, and so I'm supposed to pay attention to this. So I so I start to discount my own thing, and I forget, oh, actually, like I have I have some gifts here to offer. Like being able to see ahead is actually a gift that I yeah. can bring to the table. Um, but not as like a trump card over. So we're not going to listen to right. the, the present and the, and the past.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's true of every type and, right. and not just specific to time, sure. but um, to all sorts of other things that w- once we understand our own personality type, we can see the gifts, plural, you know, that we bring <laughs> to the table and uh, be thankful and grateful for those while also, you know, holding that intention with uh maybe some of our own kind of challenges darker parts of who we are you know in in that way i think the enneagram is both beautiful and it's brutal (laughs) because it causes (laughs) us to um uh, better understand what we what we offer but also some of the things that are are less you know fun to talk about are more difficult or challenging about us yeah sure yeah it definitely does that (laughs) for sure
1: yeah um Coming back to discernment, there's a quote from the book, and I'd love to just hear what you think about. I didn't know what page it was on, um, but it's, uh, discernment is the gift and practice of living our lives from a deep sense of vocation with wisdom in the fullness of time. So I think this is actually what we've been talking about. Yeah, it is. Um, And then this next sentence is simply, discernment is applied identity. Mm -hmm. Can you, what what do you mean by that? Discernment is applied identity.
0: Yeah. So I think when we fully understand or come to a fuller understanding of who we truly are and who we are not, and then live accordingly, I think discernment happens. Like we are living with Hmm. discernment. And so what I mean, uh, you know, in to place it in a distinctly Christian context, when we understand that our identity Is truly as beloved beings in Christ, then that gives us a whole different trajectory of decision making. Then, uh, for instance, for me, I am someone who doesn't maybe who struggles with feeling valuable and worthy, so I'm just going to manufacture it whenever I can. Right? There's discernment happens more when I understand who I am and live accordingly applied identity versus what I would call maybe the opposite would be applied personality where I'm just living from my default settings without discernment.
1: So why isn't it just enough to say to everybody, Hey, you're beloved children of God. So let that out now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I wish that were the case right? (laughs) uh, because life is far more messy, at least on, on this side of eternity. Right. I think, uh, we can, uh, I think we can understand that we are beloved, you know, beings in Christ and still struggle to live that out, right? Because life is messy and we forget and um, people do things to us that kind of take us out of that uh, space. And so I think what it requires then is some intentionality in how we go about living our lives so that uh, we aren't just living, You know, in our default personality settings all the time, which is where I get into that more longer definition. Uh, We need to live from a deep sense of vocation. So we need to understand uh, who we are called to be and who is calling us to be that. And we need to do so with wisdom. So uh, we need to receive the gift of wisdom and cultivate wisdom throughout our lives in the fullness of time so that we need to make sure that we are stewarding the time that we have well which means tending to the past the present and the future really well so that's i think that helps us maybe begin to unpack how do how do we apply this sense of identity that we may ascribe to theologically mm-hmm. but maybe struggle practically to live out
1: right yeah like exactly how do we apply we need applied identity, right? Like that's, <laughs> right. and that's what it's saying. Like that's, that's essentially what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I would really love as well to talk about, um, and this might take us down a whole other rabbit trail, but sure. See, that's, that's totally fine. And um, who knows how helpful this is. I'm hoping it's like piquing some people's interest or if people have some experience with, uh, with the Enneagram, they're hearing maybe a different, slightly different take on it. Cause I think you're bringing something sure. different to the table as well than some of the other teaching that's out there. Yeah. Um, but I was listening to your podcast, which is actually a lot of fun to listen to. Um, and, uh, particularly for people who have at least some background in the Enneagram, like I have to admit there were, there were moments that are, were completely over my head. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time I was like, oh, and that's interesting. Like I want, yeah. I want to learn more. Um, good. But I was listening to the episode on ego and essence, Yeah, and uh, and I just I wrote a note down and then was trying to understand my note and my note was basically just the word kenosis, yeah, and um, which is this self-emptying of Jesus. Um, It's talked about in Philippians chapter two. So people, if they don't know the word kenosis, it's um, nobody fully knows exactly what it means. I don't think, Um, but it's this passage: "Have the same mind that was in in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the nature of was." who though in his very nature was God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or grasped, but emptied himself, kenosis. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if you remember what you were talking about in that episode (laughs) or why that would make me think of kenosis.
0: Yeah. So, uh, well, that conversation is really... It's a microcosm of what we're trying to do with the podcast, which is uh, you know, there's a lot of lingo that's used in the Enneagram world that yeah. isn't fully understood. And so we're trying to, in the podcast to really dive deeply to make sense of it. Sure. So for instance, ego and essence are terms that are thrown around all over the Enneagram world. But what, is that, what does it mean to return to essence? You know, what, and there, what
1: and there's people I, who use those words all the time. In like not in any ground conversations.
0: Right, right. And so, and
1: so what are we talking about? Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I do think um that Philippians two is a helpful way to uh begin to angle into those terms in a way that can be really helpful and profound. Uh because let's say if we uh just maybe use that uh, passage of Philippians two to say, I just need to serve more, right? Um, which I just need to be more sacrificial and help other people. Uh, we can very easily do that from the comfortable confines of our personality type Mm -hmm. and, and not experience what I would call kenosis. So we can still be prideful in our serving. (laughs) We can still uh, want to achieve through our serving. We can still want to, um, individualize ourselves, you know, and, and kind of elevate our uniqueness through our service. There's all sorts, we could go through all the nine types and, right. and talk about how they could quote unquote sacrifice themselves and still be comfortable in their uh, personality type. In fact, uh, another resource I'd recommend would be Chuck DeGroat's Uh, when narcissism comes to church in which he takes the Enneagram and integrates it with narcissism (laughs) and and gives the nine different faces of narcissism. That's what what I'm getting at here, that that can happen well within our type. Um, But uh, if we truly take this idea of self-emptying seriously uh, in the Christian uh, context, then it requires significant humility, right? that we have to kind of let go of some of the things that we have clung to for very long, you know, pr- pretty much all of our life to get by in the world. I've heard it said before, uh, I think it's profound, but it requires a lot of unpacking that spirituality is the art of letting go. And I think that's part of what's going on here. Um, that that kenosis means letting go of some of our long held kind of coping strategies and then trusting that something will fill the void, right? That there's something Left mm. when we get when we let go of the things that we hold dear to that we don't know if we can live without, and if we and what I would venture to guess is there when we empty ourselves and is that this identity as beloved beings in Christ remains, mm. and that yeah. is enough and that is sufficient, mm. um, and so I think kenosis is calling. Uh, it, it's really an exercise in trust that I can let go of these things and still be, right? Which is terrifying. <laughs> it's much easier said than done. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we, I think, you know, that we give up the fact that God created us uniquely and <laughs> distinctly. It does. It's, that's not what I'm getting at. But I'm getting at these false ways of living that we have become very comfortable being accustomed to. If we let go of those and empty ourselves of those, we are going to be okay. I think that's, I'm sure there's more places we can go. What do you think?
1: Well, I was even thinking like even the language that's used, um, you know, uh, Paul uses the example of Jesus um, Mm -hmm. to say like Jesus was, uh, didn't consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Like if you're going to say, well, what is Jesus' personality? (laughs) Yeah okay, well, God, like that's the, there's his type. Um, But he didn't see that as something to be exploited in any way or grasped and clung onto is another way of using that word. It's like this closed fisted kind of grabbing on and using for his own power or whatever. He he let go of that and that's the Mm self-emptying aspect of it. Um, So if I was going to like insert myself in there, like to say, well, yeah, I'm going to learn things about myself. Like I'm thinking about like the Myers-Briggs test or the strengths finder. Strengths finder is a good one because I'm like, okay, I've unlocked by, I figured out like my top six strengths and now I'm going to operate out of that. And, um, and that's okay. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that can be helpful, but you can do that in a way that is like, I'm going to cling on to those and I'm going to, I'm going to use those strengths in order to accomplish whatever success in my life, for instance. Right. But what Kenosis says is, yeah, you you have those, like mm-hmm. you have those strengths, but you don't consider them as something to be clung onto or exploited. You you actually let go of that. Not that you're never using them, right? Like not that you're never operating out of them, exactly. But, but that actually they are not the driving force for you and they're not the thing that you are trying to manipulate to get what you want and right that kind of stuff so that's what i liked about this and i that maybe maybe that can take us back to those terms of ego and essence just how would you use those like how would you understand what is what is ego and what is essence yeah in relation to what we've just been talking about
0: so an- another way that um this is framed is be true self versus false self like especially yeah. if you uh, are fans of Thomas Merton or that that's another way to kind of look at this is that we all as human beings learn to adapt to our environment in order to survive and cope. That becomes, uh, our, that is where our ego is developed. And so the goal is not to get rid of an ego, right? Right. Um, I don't think we can, (laughs) I don't, I, I think we, an ego is a really important thing to have for a sense of self-esteem and whatnot. What the challenge though becomes when we become egotistical or an egomaniac, right? (laughs) When, when our ego has the total say, whereas essence, again, this kind of gets into some esoteric places. So what I'd like to do is just say, if we take the idea of essence and pair it with another uh, related word, essential, what are the essential elements of what it means to be you? What are the essential elements of what it means to be me? And I think Mm -hmm. we get down to those those truly essential elements, that without those things, we can't be us. Then I think that gives us some clues into what it means to not be so kind of driven or enamored or fixated in our egos, right? right? But rather... Integrate that ego into a, a more healthier and authentic and whole essential self or true self, and so as as a Christian, then I root that identity right in Christ. That's what we're taught to do. That our essential self is as an a uh, uh, being rooted in Christ, and so and then Scripture gives us all these different examples of how we are to be more Christ like, and so as a way to uh, maybe consider what it means to live more from a place of essence or true self or true identity beyond that it just gets kind of i think if we don't go if we don't attach it to (laughs) these theological moorings i think it just gets uh gets really wonky. Right. And kind of that <laughs> woo woo stuff that maybe you were afraid of early on.
1: Yeah. I, I do think it does start to break down. Like, especially yeah. if we start talking about words like essence. Um, I think Christians, I know a lot of Christians would be like, mm, Yeah, what do you mean by, what do you mean by essence? I like the connection to the word essential. Yeah. Um, I also think it's super helpful, um, because we can equate ego with bad. Um, right. And, and so to, so to put in and say, well, actually, when we think about, like, if we think about phrases that we might say like, well, uh, that guy has such an ego, um, actually like the, the better phrase or that we're just shortening something like really it's he has an overinflated ego. That's right. Right. Like, but we've just shortened it. Like that's, that's what we've done. Um, so the, the word ego is not, is not a bad thing. Um, right. And, uh, but it's this, this, this bigger sense of yourself that, that we're actually talking about. And it's not even the true self,
0: right? Like right. That. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Cause there is, uh, it's similar to the, the concept of pride, right? We, pride can be s- sinful, it can be harmful, right? But there's right. also a level of pride in oneself that's really important. to have that there's a healthy pride that we want to instill in our, you know, in our children that we want ourselves to have. And if we don't have that, and if we have no self-esteem, if we have no sense of pride in oneself, that, that is equally unhealthy, right? right? That can, we can do some really terrible things to ourselves and others. Um, and we probably, you know, can think of instances in our own lives or those that we know quite well where that's happened on both sides of that. Coin, yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um,
1: I'd love to read uh, a longer quote as maybe uh, we're getting close to our, our closing time here. Okay. Um, but I'd like to read a longer quote from page sixty. This is maybe getting back to transit uh, to um to time. Yeah. Um, but I think this is. Uh, I just think this is really brilliant. So I'll just I'll just brag about you for a second and your writing. Okay. Um, and uh, and then read it for for our. Uh, people listening um so you write every step we take is a journey into the unknown and in between the present moment and the one to come is a space it's a space of transition from the now to the next at times it's a space pregnant with possibility where imagination hope expectation all dwell not knowing what's next can be exciting the anticipation can be palpable fueled by the energy of creativity At times, it's a space of great confusion, pain, and suffering. Not knowing what's next is often excruciating. The anxiety can be crippling, fueled by the energy of fear. Dare we dream and hope for good things? Where we are right now is familiar ground. The next step is uncharted territory. Um, And maybe that jumped out at me. Um, Some of it, I'm sure, is my type. But some of it might also just be the time in which we find ourselves in 2020. Uh, we're recording this in July. Right. And um, and there's a lot of uncertainty right now about our future um, and what it means around uh, race relations in the U.S. and Canada, um, but also around COVID-19 and what's going to happen, um, elections coming up and all of that kind of thing. Like there could be <laughs> yeah. a lot of worry um but there's also um, some of us might see great possibility in that as well, so maybe I'm asking with your <laughs> with wisdom that you may have cultivated, like what would your advice be for people in in this particular time that we find ourselves?
0: Um, yeah, uh, you know I obviously I wrote the book in that particular uh, section well before any of. That yeah. you, anything you just listed off occurred, but it does seem relevant now and, um, feel like I'm, uh, convicting myself <laughs> when hearing those words, uh, I still, you know, these are things I still need. Um, so I, I think, I, I think the lesson there for all of us is that, um, hey, these, these particular moments that we're finding ourselves in now are really hard and difficult and challenging. And, and in many ways, we are stepping into the unknown in um, really consequential ways. Um, but I think the, the principle of doing so with wisdom and just when you don't know what to do, take the best kind of next right step you can is the best approach. So, um, you don't have to to mix metaphors here a little bit. um my good friend j. r. Briggs often says, "Don't boil the ocean, you don't have to boil the ocean today, and I think that's true of our futures right We don't uh and that joke actually seems less funny with global warming, and so, so right, right, is, yeah. right. but you get the concept right yeah um you you don't have to get everything done right, uh, right away. you don't have to figure out everything you don't have to know even exactly where you're, you're going to be in one year or five years right. and, and when you when the the path seems uncertain just take the next right step
1: right uh emily that's emily freeman emily uh, p freeman yeah yeah her uh, podcast and also okay. anna from
0: frozen that's right <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> frozen frozen two there's a song called uh, the next right step. yes lots of wisdom in both of those um yeah. <laughs> It, but I do think that that's important uh, because it's important first to have the humility to know that despite your best made plans, every step you take is in, is uncharted and unknown. Right. Uh, but also uh, for those that are paralyzed by fear and worry, you know, that, yeah. And just acknowledging, we don't know how all this is going mm-hmm. to work out. Uh, but I think we do have a responsibility to, just to walk in faithfulness as best we can. Um, We can't solve all of these problems right away. (laughs) You know, we can't cure, uh, we can't cure a pandemic. We can't solve uh, race relations in our country right away. You know, we can't um, heal the political divides that are, you know, just at every turn, right away. But we can all each take our next right step into that unknown space. And if we do so faithfully with wisdom, with discernment, I think we'll be better off.
1: That's great. Yeah. Thanks, Drew. I really appreciate our conversation today. There's so much here. Um, So I do uh, recommend people go and check out the Fathoms podcast. And um, where else can people go online to uh, find some of your writing or or connect with you? uh,
0: Um, On social media, uh, at Drew Mosier, so that's D-R-E-W-M-O-S-E-R, you can uh, find the book anywhere you buy books online. August 4th um, is is when the book launches. Uh, You can find pre-orders, though, links through my social media handles. Uh, If you're interested, I do a lot of Enneagram-related stuff on Instagram uh, on the handle at Enneagrammers. So if, if you're looking for more enneagram specific stuff and, and less pictures of my puppy or my kids, then you can <laughs> go, sure. go to that one. If yeah. you want enneagram memes, that's the <laughs> right that's the place. Well, to go. I don't really do the meme thing. No, <laughs> yeah. there are plenty of accounts out there who do that. I know, if ones. you want to know yeah. your you know preferred smoothie for your type, you know there are <laughs> other accounts can help you. With Yours that. is not the one for that. <laughs> no, one. probably not. Okay. All right, thanks so much for this. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciated it.
1: I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Drew Mosher. And don't forget to check out Drew's book, The Enneagram of Discernment, The Way of Vocation, Wisdom and Practice. And also my upcoming book, Let God Send, Uh, just head over to letgodsend.com and you can check out those pre-order bonuses. Of course, if you want, uh, if you're interested in bulk copies, uh, send me an email. Just email me at matt at uh, mattbrough.com, M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-G-H, and uh, you can find it there. Or just head over to letgodsend.com for all of the details and the
0: bonuses. Thanks for listening again today and take care.